Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into another edition of NFL University, the show where we educate you on all things across the National Football League landscape. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride. NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. As always, we've got a lot headed into week eight of the NFL season. Uh, The Deshaun Watson trade rumors are heating up as the NFL trade deadline is approaching on next Tuesday. Uh, He could be on the move. He might not be on the move. So we're basically in the same boat we've been in for months with Deshaun Watson. No Urban Meyer update this week as the Jags are coming off of a bye. But when you hear Mike Tomlin's response to USC questions compared to Urban's response, That sounds like a dude who would jump ship for the right offer. Jamar Chase, totally unstoppable. unstoppable. The Packers have a major COVID problem right now. There's a ton of stuff to get to, but we want to start with what's going on at the NFL owners meetings. So let's get to it. I need to welcome in Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. The NFL owners meetings have been going on for the last couple of days, and I, I think that they're hoping these things will just end and they can they could get out of town uh, with the reports that we've been seeing. So sounds like there is a lot of issues between the guys, the billionaires that own these football teams right now with Mark Davis throwing shade because he's mad that he had to fire his head coach. Uh, Based on the Washington football team report, them not releasing the other stuff, the NFL saying we're happy with how we handled it. Jerry Jones speaking for all the owners saying we're happy with how the NFL handled it. Then Mark Davis said, nope, nope, I'm not I'm not okay with all of it. So I want to get your guys thoughts on everything that's coming out of there, because there is a lot of problems going on right now amongst the ownership groups in the NFL. Yeah, everything's not good at home. Right. I mean, the the Wickersham report that just came out basically said, you know, Cronky, the league is being sued by St. Louis for basically breaking their own rules to be able to move that franchise to Los Angeles. It's obviously made the NFL a ton of money, right? Like NFL network studios and stuff are like built into uh, kind of like the Inglewood complex that the Rams are running right now. Right. So like the league got some benefits from that too, even beyond like we can host teams, um it t- we have two los angeles franchises now right second biggest media market in the country um we can host super bowls there now you know there's a lot of things that went right for the nfl in this deal but the city of st louis is suing the nfl and Cronky said yeah i'll cover the legal fees and now Cronky says eh, how about maybe no how about how about we split all of these legal fees so it seems like people aren't very happy jim mercy was like 
we should get Kroenke back into the room. And Jerry Jones said, ah, you probably shouldn't answer questions without a lawyer. So you could imagine how the factions are kind of split up there and how Jerry Jones is kind of standing up for Kroenke. So this is just what a mess. What a mess NFL ownership is in right now. Yeah, I don't really have much to add outside of that. It's a mess. We knew it was going to be a mess. They try to sweep everything under the rug. They try to solve it with money. They try to distract us with something that's going to, or something else that's happening, and it never works out. And I don't know why they continue to do this, continue to stretch these type of things out, but it's a mess. And I don't think it's going to change anytime soon because it hasn't changed anytime soon. Even beyond this, we had two stories yesterday, right? I, I believe they came out yesterday. Washington football team. Right. They said Goodell said that we're not going to release the reports because of uh, anonymity issues. And then all of the victims publicly, including uh, a lawyer who represents 40 of the victims, said that's not what we agreed to, Roger Goodell. So I don't know how that works in terms of PR. I don't know how you could think that that was going to be an answer that flies. And then we had the Cal McNair uh, racist comment thing that came out. So goodness gracious, like could we have any more of like a midseason pipe bomb for like NFL ownership than like what's happening right now? It's like uh, half the league is involved. Half the league is involved in just doing dumb stuff, doing dumb there, or bad stuff. There's a strong uh, side that there's a strong chance that once if these if more emails do come out, one team, one coach, some player, whoever it is involved in the NFL could could say, "Hold my beer." And one up all of this. I would not put it past, you know, this being just the start. So I think there's a great chance that um, it gets worse than this. Yeah, it, it does feel like all of the animosity going on right now in the upper echelon of the NFL is going to explode at some point. Like the, this is like a, a boiling point where I have to imagine somebody's going to get mad and somebody's going to put something else out there that the NFL doesn't want to be out there. And that report on Texans chairman, Cal McNair, that he used an anti-Asian slur at a team golf event. That's from uh, Mike Silver. That just got totally swept under the rug because of all of the other issues, which is crazy. And it, it, it was just totally overlooked. And that's what they do with these things. It's just, uh, dump it and then we'll put something else out and hopefully you guys will forget about it. And, and that's what continues to happen. So it's important that we <laughs> point out when stuff like this is happening that we talk about it because these guys should be held accountable. And that goes for the Deshaun Watson trade rumors, in my opinion, that it sounds like Miami Dolphins, at least ownership, does not care what it looks like publicly for them to trade for Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson while he's got all these civil and criminal cases uh, still under investigation against him. And the NFL at these owners meetings, I, Roger Goodell reiterated, we're going to let it play out. We're going to see how that process unfolds and he is eligible to play. So if the Miami Dolphins wind up pulling up a blockbuster trade for Deshaun Watson, ahead of Tuesday's trade deadline, it sounds like Deshaun Watson is going to play for the Miami Dolphins this season, which is just, it all just feels gross. It, it all just feels disgusting. And I don't even really know how I'm going to feel about it. Like if he suits up and plays this season while all of this stuff is unfolding and we're just saying, oh, it's more important for us to see him play football. <laughs> it's just, listen to you say that out loud. How ridiculous is that? Think about it, man. 
Um, we just got done talking about what's going down at the owners' meetings and just how it doesn't seem like they have any sense of morals for the right thing to do. And now we're transitioning to a quarterback with 22 um, people in that are not in his corner. And now he's just going to get out, be able to play football. Not, he's not going to be placed on the commissioner's exemplist. Uh, he's just going to keep it moving like nothing ever happened. And just to share this with this before we hopped on here. So Cameron Wolf of ESPN does a great job covering the Dolphins. Uh, they spoke to Tua today, Miami's quarterback, who will be replaced likely if Deshaun Watson does go there. And he said some of the quotes, nothing is fair. The life, <laughs> this is the life that we lead. I do not feel, I don't not feel wanted. And then another quote he had was, I don't even know when the trade deadline is. He has to be so tired of answering these type of questions because that's all anybody wants to talk about, especially with Miami who hasn't been winning. So, um, it's a trickle down. It's a trickle effect, domino effect. Everybody's being impacted by this. And the source, Watson, were acting like nothing is going wrong. Even the, the national media members who are talking about this, they'll kind of qualify it at the very end. Well, we have to see about a situation. Why not talk about the situation, man? This is not some sort of slap on the wrist type of deal. And it's, it's driving me insane. But again, this is the NFL. This is the league that we cover. And there are no morals involved here. The reports where they say like yeah compensation has been agreed to they just need to figure out how the legal matters are going to play out like what type of news is that like yeah we're waiting on 22 cases of you know sexual assault being being investigated like this is where we were months ago so has nothing changed like i i still don't think you can trade for him I, I just don't think that you could do it. I, th- there's no way that your fan base just wouldn't be irate, especially, you know, two is looking a little bit better, I guess. I mean, hopefully it doesn't come down to like how the quarterback plays. You know, you would like to see someone, you would like to see justice being served no matter of a quarterback situation, right? Um, but yeah, it's just what a weird spot for the league to be in. And again, Goodell saying that there's no reason to put him on the commissioner's exempt list just doesn't make sense to me. We've seen guys under the Goodell administration get hit for a lot harder for a lot less than what's being accused right now. And the reports that are saying, you know, they still have yet to agree on total compensation, but they're close. But, you know, the Dolphins want to see what's happening with the criminal investigation and the courts and all of that stuff. Like all of that just seems like, oh, we're just leaking that to lower the price tag. It it doesn't feel like they actually care about that at all. Like the Dolphins are just saying, well, we can, can we, can we get one of these picks lowered or or can we, can we move some stuff around so we can get him? Because the way it feels to me is like Miami is making a hard push to go acquire him right now. And they do not care about the public perception of it. But the NFL is just the league where. Yeah, well, new cycles 24-7, new stories every day, attention span is short in the modern era, so we just keep things moving along. Just brush it under the rug, get him back onto the field, and he'll play, and he'll probably be spectacular because he's an exceptional football player, and we'll just hope that everybody will forget about everything that's going on off the field. Like that, that's, just, that's just the way the league operates now. 22. It's- 22. Like... I don't understand what we're even talking about, man. I, I I can't I can't believe Goodell has done everything so poorly. What what an awful like last year for Goodell and 
the faith of anyone thinking that like yeah he's doing anything right and isn't just serving ownership like he is just full-blown chud at this point right the craziest part about just the nfl commissioner's exemplist is that you don't you don't require like a criminal charge so if that's the case why not serve justice as we're talking about right do the right thing this is ve- it seems very simple. You mentioned the people that were served or that were placed on it for far less. Uh, Vic, Adrian Peterson, Jonathan Vilma, like just go back and back. Uh, think about what Watson is being charged or allegedly charged for or you know, his circumstance. It, it should be a no brainer. You would think it would be a no brainer. You would think that if a football team like the Miami Dolphins, right, is saying, hey, we want to see how the legal system plays out before we let him play on the field for us and the Houston Texans won't let him play on the field for I guess a multitude of, I don't even know if Watson would play for him um if he were able to um but they they're having him like scout team right scout team safety and stuff in the summer they had no intentions of playing him you would think that the league would say yeah we should probably have some sort of buffer in place to make sure he doesn't get on the field while this at the very least is playing out but they just seem to have no intention to do it yeah, that's the that's the logical thing to do, right? Is for them to step in and say, whoa, whoa, whoa no, we're we're just gonna put him on the exempt list. He's gonna sit out this entire year and then you guys can reassess things in the offseason and see if you know he's gonna be eligible to play. But they're just simply choosing not to do that. So that's all of the major stuff that's going on in the NFL this week. Uh, but there is some fun stuff in football that we'd actually like to get to today. And I wanna start with the 5-2 and Cincinnati Bengals, who just came off of a dominating win over the Baltimore Ravens. And that dude, Jamar Chase, who is a bona fide superstar player already, did it again, went absolutely nuts, had an incredible 82-yard touchdown, had over 200 receiving yards. The film people, the NFL people headed into this season, take, you know, Penny Sewell take over Jamar Chase, take the offensive linemen because they matter more. It's not looking good right now, guys. Like Jamar Chase has totally transformed this Bengals offense in a way that they are five and two right now. And they are fantastic. They're an explosive offense and their defense is all right. And Joe Burrow looks like he's a superstar caliber quarterback and he's throwing to the best young wide receiver in football. <laughs> like I'm genuinely excited to watch Cincinnati Bengals football on a weekly basis right now. Yeah. I think we also learned Baltimore's past defense. Goodness gracious. It, it is as bad as the results have showed the first couple weeks of the season. Um, that's probably as bad as we've seen a Baltimore Ravens past defense play, you know, under, I guess this like since since like Ozzy took over the team, right? I mean, they they've always been able to kind of hang their hat defensively, and now they just simply don't have the horses on the back end. The Bengals are super fun. I mean, if they would have made one of those kicks against Green Bay, they're five and one, and the the standalone leader in the AFC in terms of seeding right now. So you have to take them as a threat. I understand, you know, Cleveland's a good team, Baltimore's a good team. We just saw them head to head though. Um, they have a very good chance of like winning the AFC North in general. And I think they're going to be a playoff team at this point. I mean, they'd probably be an upset to not make the playoffs the way the AFC is kind of shaking out. So I didn't anticipate, you know, playoff lock Cincinnati Bengals in October, but they're there now. Chase is as fun 
as you could ask for a rookie wide receiver. Like he is, if he doesn't win uh rookie of the year, I I'm going to be irate because you shouldn't give it to one of the quarterbacks right now. He is the rookie of the year um, at, at wide out. So they're kind of interesting moving forward. It'll be hard to say how big of a splash they'll be able to make in the playoffs once they start going head to head with quarterbacks who can kind of outgun them. Right. Because that's the way that they're winning these games. I don't think that should take, cause that's going to happen. They're probably going to get blown out in the playoffs and everybody's going to see Everybody's going to act like, see, I told you, and that's the worst way to approach this. Their regular season success is a big deal and should be viewed as a big deal. So um, think about leading up to the draft, everything that we talked about, should it be Sewell, should it be Chase? The Bengals are playing a lot of empty. You want Burrow to be upright. He was just hurt. And the one way for him to stay upright is investing in your offensive line. Instead, they draft a top five receiver who historically is not the way to go in the NFL because they have to be – superstars and chase is leading the league or he's second in the league my bad in receiving yards to cooper cup which is no shame because cup is on pace to break calvin johnson's single season record so that just puts into perspective how special of a season that chase is having he's averaging 21 and a half yards per reception that is nuts because he has 35 receptions six touchdowns uh, he has a, i think he's fifth in yards after the catch so it's not like he's just you know a dink and dunk type of receiver. I mentioned 21 and a half uh, receiving yards. He's a superstar, many special. You, you mentioned the Ravens pass defense. There were multiple drives where Marlon Humphrey just started traveling with him. For those of you unaware of who Marlon Humphrey is, he's one of the best press man cornerbacks in the NFL. He stood no chance against Chase. I have not seen a receiver this season make Humphrey look the way he does. So uh, hats off to him. He's a superstar. If I had a penne, for every time in the offseason somebody said to take Sewell, I would own this podcast network, man. Um, it's great. Take guys who can score touchdowns and take guys who look like a superstar. And good for you, Bengals. I'm glad that this pick worked out. Celebrate as much as you want to because this is great because, I mean, when's the last time they've been able to do this? And their two losses, they have that bad loss against the Chicago Bears. And that was kind of a weird football game where Joe Burrow just threw a bunch of interceptions and just just plainly a, a bad game for a young football team that's like still improving. And then their other loss is that weird Packers game where they miss like 15 field goals. Right. <laughs> so uh, the, the Bengals are a fun, good, young, exciting team. So even if they, you know, don't, do a lot of damage in the postseason. They're a team that's on the rise, and Jamar we Chase give, is a baller. We should give Burrow credit too, because obviously the jokes are always going to be about his arm strength or lack thereof. But the way that he plays in the pocket gives the Bengals a chance to be successful. Um, he's very good at just moving around, manipulating space, and you really wouldn't have thought that the way that you know his rookie year kind of went. But he's, he's made strides, and it doesn't hurt to have a guy like Chase to throw slants to. But it's nice to see them coming together as an offense. And Joe Burrow's confidence is just, like, intoxicating. Like, like it's impossible for me to, like, not root for that guy when you watch all the NFL film stuff where he's just like, oh, no, like, no moment is too big for Joe Burrow. Like, he's confident he can do it all for the Cincinnati Bengals. And it's awesome to watch. I, I do want to get into this Chiefs Titans game. Um, you know, I've obviously already talked about it a ton at Arrowhead Pride. 
Uh, we talked about it headed into the game. The Titans defensive front does have speed and that's what had really given the chiefs offensive line problems. And some of that's on Patrick Mahomes. Some of it's on their offensive line, just not being as good as they thought it was going to be. And Orlando Brown struggling a little bit in pass protection, but I'm curious what you guys saw in that game. I still have faith the Chiefs offense is doing well. The defense is terrible, and we know the defense is terrible. But I I tend to think that that was more of a fluke game for the offense than anything else. And the Titans just had a good game plan, and they knew they could get after Mahomes throughout. So the Chiefs did what they were supposed to do, right? They stopped Derrick Henry. They slowed down the run. And it seemed the, if you were to listen to like all the previews and read all the previews leading up to that game, if the Chiefs stopped Derrick Henry, that would be ball game. Well, they did that. Unfortunately, on the other side of the ball, um, they couldn't get out of their own way. It, it, I don't know how long did it take for them to cross midfield because it didn't seem like they did that very early on at all. I know there there was some turnovers and whatnot, but uh, that offense did not look great. At first, and it was, uh, I think it, it was, was about midway through the third quarter. Before <laughs> I think it 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 probably was a fluke game, um, but we keep saying that you know, and a lot of their drives end up in either turnovers or touchdowns. One of those things kept happening on Sunday, and it wasn't touchdowns. And I think that was just the that's why the result was a result. It feels like this Chiefs team feels a whole lot like late. Uh, late stage Mike McCarthy in Green Bay, doesn't it? I mean, it's just, hey, no one can play defense. Aaron Rodgers is just out there trying to make plays, and and sometimes he's not trusting his structure, and it becomes a turnover when in previous years it wouldn't become a turnover. Um, what does this – so, okay, right now, the way this Chiefs team is constructed, they're 11 personnel team that uses Travis Kelsey, who's basically another wide receiver. And then you can't understand – Oh, why can't they run the ball, right? It's a very hard way to run the ball if you're actually going to be out there in, like, four open stuff. I kind of am wondering at this point, like, is this how the Chiefs should look like for the entirety of the Mahomes era, right? Like, at some point, don't you want to get the ball out of his hand quicker, just, like, easy passes, get him under center, just, like, help him a little bit um, in terms of a run game? But I don't know if you can do that with the personnel that they have right now, right? Because, like, what does it look like when Tyreek is trying to stock block a safety? What does it look like when Kelsey is out there in line trying to play one-on-one with the defensive end, right? Um, The way the personnel's kind of shaken up, it has been Chiefs, all right, like, drop gear, disappear. Like, you're just scoring points at will. But if you can't do that, then how does this personnel work, right? I I think that's one of the biggest things that we're seeing with this chiefs team. And it goes back to last season too, right? Um, you know, everyone points to the super bowl because it's the game that they lost, but they've been struggling since, you know, a, basically a full calendar year at this point compared to what Mahomes has looked like before. Maybe we made too big of a deal out of what the result of the super bowl was specifically. and didn't look back and say, Hey, all these like close games that the chiefs were playing in 2020 um, that weren't, that, that ended up in Chiefs of wins, but were a lot tighter than we expected them to be. Maybe we should have analyzed those a little bit more too, um, because I can't. I kind of think that's where you're seeing the personnel issues, even offensively, show up. Well, even that playoff run, they had like five miracle. They had a ton of miracle games uh, to just to get to the Super Bowl. Yes, they came back and won them all, but it wasn't an easy stretch to get there. 
by any means. You talk about their personnel and, you know, it's very tough to run the ball when you have like when you're consistently running with one back. It does not make it easier when your running back is not the best is not best suited for the way you run. Um, we can talk about the drops that Mahomes takes, like how deep his drops are and how it doesn't really fit well with their specific offensive tackles. There is a lot going on, but I do think, you know, with what they want to do offensively and how they want to run the ball. Yeah. Uh, asking Kelsey to go dig out a linebacker or to chip um, <laughs> to chip an end. It's not sustainable. It's not going to work, man. They entering well, this week. They had 40% of their drives in touchdown and 23% of them ended in turnovers. It is the most all or nothing offense in the NFL. And when you're not scoring touchdowns and you continue to turn the ball over, that's how you get down to Tennessee, what, 24-0 or something like that? And that's when Mahomes goes full Texas Tech, thinking that he has to save the day on every drop back, and he just does too much. And that's how he turn the ball over. The other thing with Kelsey, too, is like we're talking about him digging out linebackers and stuff. They don't even really put him in a position to do that. No one <laughs> plays no one plays X more as like a on paper written out positional tight end than Travis Kelsey does. You can look at any of their games half the time he split out isolated by himself and then they got trips opposite of it and that's, you know, they move Tyreek around in that trips formation. Um that's very again, that's very hard to play. Um that's basically like what the Big 12 was doing a, a couple of years ago, and even the Big 12 teams have now since adjusted. If you watch the Big 12, they're like a true 11 personnel, uh, 20 personnel le- a conference, basically, because yeah. they all realize like the schematic advantages that defensive defenses have now go against wanting to run, uh, incentivizing running the actual spread offense, right? Because it's just so hard to run against it and they play so many games on the edges and you're starting to see this college scheme kind of trickle up um at the league level so i don't know i i just kind of wonder like these tight ends who are built like travis kelsey these tight ends who are built like uh zach Ertz. um you can look at green bay robert tunyon he's had struggle producing uh recently Ertz just got traded right like what can these tight ends who are kind of like they can't contribute in the run game. How much value is there actually there? Right. Why, why wouldn't you just run 10 personnel like the Cardinals do, like the bills do at times um, instead of putting a tight end body out there, because at least you're getting a little bit more speed on the field. Cause just having a tight end out there isn't keeping teams in base defense anymore. So right. that kind of negates the benefit of having that guy. Whereas you see a, a Kittle, or a Gronkowski, guys who can actually contribute in more ways than just catching the ball, that's actually what puts your your defense in a bind. And the issue is when you go like three by one, that third receiver for the Chiefs is like Tyreek Hill, uh, Pringle. So guys who are like my size having to block guys in the box and your run game is not going to be sustainable. Right, you got to RPO those guys. You have to because they can't block. It's it's not like the Packers where they have – you know, uh, Devontae Lazard, MVS, like all these, they're built like power forwards in the NBA, right? Like that's not who the Chiefs have out there. So that, that's why I have some of these questions. I, I don't know if their problems can be solved this season. I think Mahomes is a great quarterback. Keep him. Tyreek, obviously, if you're going to have one guy who's going to be a little bit smaller and, and maybe is not a blocker, it's probably Tyreek, right? I, my big question is just like, can you can you play Tyreek and Kelsey together in the way that the chiefs are framed right now where 
they can't just score points at will and their defense just has to have even a semblance of a heartbeat to to keep them in games because that hasn't been the case the last 17 Chiefs games where it was the case in the first 44 you know under Mahomes so it, it all fell apart when Sammy Watkins left. Oh, that's what it was. Sammy Watkins blocking ability was something we talked about for years in Kansas City. I mean, you know, Sammy, he's, you know, he's going to get banged up. He's going to be quiet a lot of the time. But when you see him out there blocking, it's transformative to this entire Chiefs offense. Uh, if you want to be do. successful and if you want to have a successful game, if you want to have a successful running game with one back, simply trade for Chris Godwin. That's how you solve all your issues. That would be incredible. I I do think they've got a ton of problems, obviously. And I think my biggest fear with this Chiefs team moving forward is that the fluky turnovers stop happening because we know this offense can score. They can move the ball. It's the fluky turnovers that have been really costing them. And when I say say that I'm afraid that that stuff's going to stop happening is that They'll start scoring again. They'll start putting up points again. And then the Chiefs, like organizationally, will say, okay, well, the offense is totally fine. We just got to fix the defense this offseason. When I think it runs deeper than that. And you guys both mentioned like the issues that they've had for a calendar year now. And, and I think that that's apparent, but I don't know if it's always apparent to the people who are making the roster decisions within that organization because. Frankly, it's hard to think that way when you've had as much success as they have since 2018. So I kind of get it, but obviously they have some really deeply rooted problems that they have to figure out uh, moving forward because you don't want to waste any of this Patrick Mahomes window. And we know what type of special player he can be when everything is working around him. And I would like to see more of that uh, as we move forward. I do want to give justice a second here as we've got a fantastic Thursday night football matchup between the Green Bay Packers and the Arizona Cardinals, or it was a fantastic Thursday night football matchup between those two teams until uh, wide receiver Devontae Adams tested positive for COVID this week. He is likely out. And then Alan Lazard is a non-vaccinated close contact, which means he is likely out for Thursday night football. What are the Packers going to do? Should we get Robert Tunyon in our fantasy lineups? Because they don't have anybody else to throw to. Yeah, a couple, a couple Packers are going to play the Arizona Cardinals tomorrow. So that's that's good news. Um, they're in the revenge game, baby. Their defensive coordinator is also out, Joe Barry. Um, so Jerry Gray is going to call plays for them. Uh, they didn't have practice on Tuesday because they were all virtual. So they had to have an estimated walkthrough for like the injury report. Um, this team is basically not practiced. So that's, that's never a good sign. Uh, they were kind of hoping like even in the, the postgame presser and stuff, uh, Matt LaFleur said Preston Smith was selfless for not playing against Washington. You know, that was a revenge game type of situation for Preston, obviously, um, being, you know, a former, uh, he wasn't a football team member. It was, it was under a different name before then, but um, he didn't come back from a, an oblique injury so that they could hopefully have a quick turnaround against this undefeated Arizona team in a game that will almost certainly decide seating in the NFC. Um, they were going to test him. They were going to test Bakhtiari, who is probably close to coming off of IR with his uh, ACL injury um, recovery. And then they were going to test Kevin King, who's coming back from a shoulder uh, issue against the uh, Bengals. Um, and then also MVS who has a hamstring injury at wide receiver. So they, they wanted to use this week as like, Hey, 
we're going to keep you out of Washington. We're going to test you in practice this week going into the Arizona game. And then hopefully we'll be, you know, guns a blazing. Well, that is not playing out in Green Bay. So every uh, this week feels like almost like a lost cause already with just how many guys have been out. I, I checked the uh, I checked the player participation. The Packers have had exactly two offensive plays that they could run against Arizona with the personnel that they've had this season. So think about that, right? We're 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 what we're in week eight. Every single pay, play that the Packers have had up to this point of the season is basically null and void in terms of personnel because they've had one guy out there who's not going to be in there for this Arizona game between Devontae, between uh, Lazard, MVS, uh, Dominique Daphne. Those are all key players for this team, and they're all still missing. So this is going to be weird. When Amari Rodgers is out there, and Amari Rodgers was basically delegated to punt returner only because he hasn't been showing enough um, up to this point and throughout even the preseason, the fact that he's going to be like wide receiver two maybe uh, should be a little bit of a cause for concern because we, we just talked about those big bodies Green Bay has, right? MVS, Lazard, Devontae Adams, all those guys get out there and block for you, right? Well, now those bodies are Randall Cobb and Amari Rodgers. That's very different in terms of size. Yeah, that's bad. That's gross. <laughs> it's not great, what, man. Uh, what was once an excellent Thursday night football game has quickly evaporated into something that I might question whether or not I should even watch the entirety of. Even uh, if, if they go down that. two scores, they should put in Jordan Love, and I'm not even joking. <laughs> oh like if you go God, down double digits, go. just throw out Jordan Love. Don't get anyone hurt. Make it through the make it through the game without any injured starters. If Kenny Clark or Devondre Campbell or Aaron Rodgers goes down. That's the worst thing that could happen for you. Even missing all of, all of the players that you said, which was essentially their entire roster, the line still has not budged from six and a half. That tells you Vegas refuses to give Rodgers a touchdown. That is impressive. <laughs> a lot of people are saying he's good. I don't know. We can <laughs> revisit a, like, a, what was it, like 2017 takes where people are like, ah, I don't know, this Andy Dalton guy. Kirk Cousins, he's better than Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> The dot said so. So, I do. I. I mean, it would be incredible if he just shreds them. Like if he just comes out and just shreds Arizona, it's probably unlikely. But if they I if they like do that, that and then get the tiebreaker for the one seed, oh man, I might not show up to work for a week. Cliff. <laughs> that would give us. You guys so gonna need to find a find a fill in. Yeah, Cliff. There you go, Cliff. Hey, Texas Tech, right? <laughs> Texas Tech just fired their head coach after they fired Cliff. And Cliff is undefeated uh, coach of the year in the NFL right now at this point. So, I don't know, man. That, that feels like a good segue to USC, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could get into it. Um, yeah, in case you missed it, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin uh, responded to a reporter yesterday who asked him about the uh, USC open head coaching position. As I don't have time for that speculation. I mean, that's a joke to me. Um, I got one of the best jobs in, in all of professional sport. Why would I have any interest in coaching college football? Um, that'll be the last time that I address it. And not only today, but moving forward. Never say never, but never. Okay? Anybody else got any questions about any college jobs? There's not a booster with a big enough blank check. Thank you. Anybody asking Sean Payton about that? You know, anybody asking Andy Reid about stuff like that? Mike Tomlin's awesome. Uh, I would like to see more head coaches respond like this sometimes. And just 
wear their emotions. And that's something that Mike Tomlin's always been good at. Uh, I've spent a lot of time watching Mike Tomlin post-game press conferences for no reason. I've never covered the Pittsburgh Steelers, but <laughs> Mike Tomlin's just a fun coach to listen to. And uh, I love what he had to say there. And then someone on Twitter, you know, side-by-sided Tomlin's reaction to the question compared to Urban Meyer's reaction to the question. And Urban Meyer's got his hands in his pockets. He's just looking down, doesn't want to answer the question because he knows he'll take that job in a heartbeat if he gets offered it. And so it was just fantastic. And yeah, I totally agree, Tomlin. People should not be asking you that question. You have probably the safest job in all of the NFL outside of maybe Bill Belichick. Yeah, I, I mean, Tomlin's a bomb squad, right? I mean, how, how many how many obstacles does Tomlin need to get through um, between all the Ben stuff, all the AB stuff? Uh, Villanueva coming out for the anthem when the rest of the the uh, team was going to stay in there. there. He's Le'Veon Bell, the 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 team literally going through rumming, rummaging through his locker and and taking photos of his shoes on Instagram and stuff. Like, how, how much more does this guy have to prove? Like Tomlin, I think is a great leader. Uh, I don't think it's a surprise he's had as much success in the NFL, even with a limited Ben Roethlisberger as as he's had, you know, even as of late. USC, like, that is not who they're going after. Mike Tomlin. I, I can't imagine just understanding, like, how the West Coast works and how USC works. It's kind of a cult. I, I don't think Tomlin would want to deal with that at all. And then on the urban thing, I, I still don't think, like, I don't even know if these teams want him um, with all, all the stuff that these teams are going through right now. And urban, you can't dance with the co-eds, right? Yeah, I feel like there's a, there's a rule where <laughs> – if you're in the NFL, you can't go back to your old stomping grounds and dance with the co. That's an awful look when USC is going through their own sexual assault lawsuits and LSU is coming out of everything that happened with the Darius Guy saga, right? Like, how how can he even be considered at this point? This is a guy who, at the very least, you could say doesn't necessarily know how to where to draw the line, right? And that's not who you want in the building. So I kind of feel like Urban is at a point where He's he's almost a can't touch at the college yeah. level, whereas Tomlin, I think teams anyone would be lucky to have Tomlin. Right when the Packers went through a head coaching change, I really wanted Tomlin to be the next Packers head coach when it seemed like he was on a little bit of a hot seat. Tomlin, for why would he want to go to USC? There's expectations there. If you go, you know, nine and three with teenagers, they're gonna get mad at you. Like just coaching the NFL, you're at a place that is hired mm-hmm. like four head coaches in like the the last 60 years just post up. I understand why he would be so offended by even being considered as someone who would be on that list. If you went eight and two in 2018 during a stretch when your quarterbacks were Doc Hodges and Mason Rudolph, you too would be upset at rumors of you wanting to go coach in college. If you were the 21st winning coach, the 21st winningest coach of all time in the NFL, more wins than Pete Carroll, Sean Payton, Mike McCarthy, who had two years on him and Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, John Fox, Marvin, like the list goes on and on. This shouldn't even be a discussion. It started with Carson Palmer and people naturally ran with it. So you could see the disgust in his face and that's what made it so worth it. But, yeah, zero chance that this happens, man. He is yeah. a legend, and he should remain in the NFL. And as you said, any team would be lucky to have a guy who has, you know, just like a leader and who's just 
gets his team prepared like Tomlin does. The other thing is he name dropped Andy Reid and Sean Payton yeah. in his response. He was he like, why, why, he was like, why don't you ask him? He's like, why don't you ask him? Why yeah. why is it only me? Tomlin is the bomb squad. Like we we should not overlook this. The fact that he's been able to keep Pittsburgh as stable as it has been with all of the cast of characters that have come through that program. It's amazing what Tomlin has done, I think. I I love so much that he threw Andy Reid and Sean Payton in there. Because, like, Andy Reid, Sean Payton, Bill Belichick, Tomlin is in that category. Like, those are the the four coaches of the NFL that probably have, like, no chance of getting fired. Maybe Sean McVay is in that category, too, like, after, after his run with the Rams. But I don't even know if you could say that about Kyle Shanahan right now. Like there's like four or five coaches that, you know, guarantee they're not going to get fired. Tomlin's one of them. And so he should be offended by anybody asking him that question in his mind. You know, he was like, do you know who I am? Do you seriously (laughs) know who I am? Why are you asking me this question? And he has every right to feel that way, which is great, but no, let's Shanahan, Tressman Shanahan. Come on, man. <laughs> so, Trustman. oh, you're down bad. So okay. that's a, that's a perfect spot to take a quick timeout, and I do want to get KP's st- thoughts on his struggling 49ers. So we will do that after the break. Uh, that's next on NFL University. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I have some exciting news for you, class. Your time starts now. NFL. Crash course? This doesn't happen very often. You're going to enjoy this one. Welcome back into NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, joined by Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. As I mentioned before the break, we had to slide in uh, Kyle Shanahan and this 49ers team struggles. KP, our resident Niners expert, this team obviously not performing a, a team that I picked to go to the Super Bowl in the preseason, which is looking like an awful <laughs> and, uh I think you disagreed with me early in the season, and I probably should have listened to you. Uh, what is going on with the 49ers? Is there any fixing this team, or is it just a lost cause because they refuse to remove Jimmy Garoppolo from the starting lineup? The, uh, the 49ers going to the Super Bowl is like the dumber, dumber, the dumb and dumber meme. So you're saying there's a chance like there's a very slim chance that they would make the Super Bowl. But um, you watch the game against the Colts. You watch how other teams have played against the Colts. The Colts are a team that is very good at punching up. You know, they're going to give you a hard time. They're going to be a pain in the butt. But the good teams get over on them. They shouldn't. You should not lose to the Colts if you are a contender in the NFL. And. Just the way that that game played out, you saw the faults of the 49ers. A lot of the blame is going to go to Kyle Shanahan, and rightfully so, in the sense that the certain players under center should not be playing. So, of course, you're going to be handcuffed. You're not going to be able to do things on offense. But there was missed throws. There were Debo Samuel, who 
is one of the league leaders in the NFL in receiver in receiving yards. He dropped a pass. He fumbled a pass. He dropped another pass that went through his arms and resulted in a pick six. That's not a coaching problem at all. You can't pin that on the coach at all. Um, there were times on the you saw on the defense side of the ball where it seemed like whenever Carson Wentz heaved it deep, pass interference. Or Drake Kirkpatrick, who, yes, he is in the NFL, uh, <laughs> he played three snaps and gave him a touchdown. That, what are you supposed to do against that? That's not. I don't feel like that's a Shanahan problem. There are so many things that, that are, is wrong with the 49ers um, on offense and defense. They can't stay healthy, but they keep shooting themselves in the foot, penalties, and they just look like a team that doesn't know what they're doing. Honestly, it seems like Shanahan is a bit overwhelmed, and I don't want to say in over his head, but it seems like he can't get in a rhythm as a play caller because there are so many different things going on, so many moving parts. So it seems like he has to delegate one of those tasks, and I'm not sure he's a guy that trusts people in the building to do so. That's why they're in this situation. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like it's spiraling at mm-hmm. this point, right? I mean, I don't think you can point to one thing. It's just like things are happening and it leads to other things, basically. And one of the issues I feel like is this is when you would want when, – when things are spiraling like this, that's when you want a Tomlin, right, where you could bring people back together and you can have that strong voice in the room and say, no, 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 let's clear this up and get to back to a singular vision, right? Whereas Kyle, it seems like he's in these pressers and it's like he's just roasting Jimmy every single second. People can't figure out why the running back they just drafted can't get on the field. People can't figure out why that first round receiver that they got can't get on the field. I wonder if that's when like you're seeing the benefits of a guy like Salah, you know, walk away from that type of role that he had where he was kind of like players coach. Right. Every, Every single guy who played under him said that they loved that dude. I wonder if they kind of need that voice right now and there's just no one in that, you know, the vacuum that Salah left, like there's just no one to step into that to kind of keep everyone at that like mellow, you know, even baseline instead of it just like spiraling up and down consistently. He brought up the press conference. He is dejected. He has no energy. A lot of times he's talking like this because he doesn't want to talk to anybody and he wants to get out of there really quick. (laughs) He just – he doesn't want to be here. And I'm not saying he doesn't want to be there as a coach, but he doesn't want to face the media after he loses. And that is an issue. Uh, you talked about how he's throwing Jimmy under the bus. He was asked, hey, why is Jimmy still the starter? And he led with, well, yeah, he played his worst game of the season last game. Like, hey, man, nobody asked you that. <laughs> we didn't ask you that at all. Uh, yeah, he. I don't know if ownership is the best thing. Like ownership and accountability for him is his biggest, strongest traits. And it's showing right now. And I do think that is a great point about you know having a leader in the locker room, having having a leading voice in the locker room. It doesn't always have to be a player. It doesn't always have to be a coach. But whoever that is is not speaking up, whether it's DeForest Buckner, Joe Staley, like they're not in the locker room right now. And it's showing up. Yeah, it does feel like somebody's got to take some decision making away from him. Like he throws players under the bus in press conferences more than I think any coach I've ever seen. <laughs> Just yeah. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, yeah, he's terrible. Awful work ethic. That's why. That's why we don't use him. Yeah, I don't care if we traded up for him in the first round. He's just. He's just not good. Trey Sermon traded up for him too. I don't give a damn. Trey Sermon sucks. His work ethic's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't understand it. Like why did you guys draft these players if if you don't want to try to utilize them in some way? It can't be when it's this many. Like I understand sometimes if you're like a guy that guy just doesn't love football the way that we need him to. 
do you have a whole team of them, Kyle? <laughs> like, Because you're making it sound like everybody on your team doesn't like playing football, or maybe they just don't like playing for you. I, I don't know, but I, I've never seen anything quite like the way he just likes to throw guys under the bus. Like, It's not me. Well, it's not my system. It might be like a front office thing, too, and it, that also comes down to Kyle hiring John Lynch off of television. To he is the front office. His- well, remember when uh, – who was it? Was it Peter King who was embedded with them that first draft where, you know, everyone talks about, oh, Joe Williams. He really likes Joe Williams, so let's all draft Joe Williams in our fantasy leagues. And then it turns out, like, yeah, that guy, like, wasn't there. Like, he wasn't there to be a professional running back, right? And then, you know, Reuben Foster, um, I, I think that was the Alabama linebacker that they took. Yeah. Um, he ended up having off-field concerns, right? So, like, maybe – this is a situation where it's just like Kyle making decisions based off of film and ignoring Intel right from scouts where it's like, Hey, maybe there's a reason why this guy is available or something like that. So I don't know. I mean, it could be a, it could be a multitude of things and it probably is right. I mean, it I, is, I, it is a, sorry to cut you off. It is hundred percent about ignoring the Intel because they have drafted guys where I don't know if it was Ken law, but recently a guy who got in a fight with the hospital, at the hospital with one of the nurses, like he's just picking a fight with them and they still drafted him. What are you doing, man? Um, Amory Thomas, the Michigan corner, he left Michigan and they still drafted him. Like the scouts are telling him, Hey, this guy was not with the team. Like he left them still drafted him. Um, I think that there's a lot, there's so much going on and it does have to come back to Kyle because he has controlled the 53, the scouts and Lynch have controlled the 90 man roster, but every, the 53 comes down to Kyle and him signing off. Uh, Jake Plummer, who played for Mike Shanahan, came out and uh, this wasn't recent, but he he pretty much said like the Shanahan coaching style wears on you because they want you to be perfect. And when people on Twitter read that, they're like, well, we want everybody to be perfect. Are you really criticizing that? Nope. Not what I'm talking about. Like he's wearing down on you when you do one thing wrong in a game where you're up 50 to two. Like there's a difference between Saban level of coaching, Belichick level coaching, and then just always constantly nagging, constantly nagging. Uh, that does wear down on you. And you can see whether it's Brandon Ayuk, whether it was Dante Pettis, uh, guys that are no longer in the building, guys that are still in the building. It Something is off. And when I say that, people were like, well, Mike Shanahan isn't in the building. Like he's not with Kyle Shanahan. That is Kyle Shanahan's dad, who he grew up with. Mike Shanahan is has an office in the 49ers building. He watches tape there in the offseason with them. You cannot tell me. Uh, he doesn't have an impact on how Kyle Shanahan coaches, who he's admitted that's his, his dad is his idol, and then just like the style of coaching in general. So um, it he, it's the same thing. In my mind, it's the exact same thing. He's probably wearing down his players, and it's showing. Uh, and I just think we've seen this time and time again in the NFL, where like, you know, everybody within their career wants to move up, right, and, and get that get to that next step. And sometimes that means taking on more responsibility, working a lot more, putting in a lot of hours or whatever. But we see in the NFL, like being a head coach is a pretty demanding job anyway. And so when you take on all of the extra decision making, it just doesn't work out very often. Like we saw with Andy Reid at the end in Philadelphia and Bill Belichick for being the greatest head coach of all time. Done a lot of bad things personnel wise over the last several years. So we've just seen it blow up in guys' faces. And Andy, that's why, you know, coming into Kansas City, Andy said, I, 
you know, I want to have some input here and there. You know, I want to tell you what guys I like, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to force you to do anything that you know the scouts don't think is the best thing for the team or whatever. So it just seems like the 49ers have some decisions to make and like they they need to, uh, you know, take some stuff off of Kyle's plate right now. Let him kick back a little bit and and try to get some things figured out. Uh, I do want to end on a more positive note, and it seems weird to call it a positive note when we're talking about an 0-7 football team, but that Dan Campbell Lions team is just fun, right? It, it's they're the only 0 and 17, only team in the NFL that has not won a game. That like when I looked at their schedule, I was like, oh, they haven't won a football game because they've just had so many of these games where they've been competitive or Dan Campbell's doing crazy stuff. It, it's actually been fun to watch, despite the fact that like Jared Goff's just not very good. It's so I, I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the Lions and the way they played against the Rams because that that game was fun and it was fun because Dan Campbell was just doing crazy stuff on the football field. I love it, man. He has he uh, he understands he's an underdog and he plays like he's an underdog. I also think we should give credit and it might not show up in the box score because they have allowed you know a good amount of points to specific teams, but I think Aaron Glenn should get a lot of credit for how he's coaching. I think once that team gets talent they will be much better because players are buying in. They're not making the type of mistakes they were making last year because the Lions secondary last year was atrocious. Like they were making mistakes left and right, allowing guys to run freely behind them. That's not happening this year. They're making teams work. They're, they're competitive. And I think that matters going for it on fourth down, you know, being aggressive, fake punts, onside kicks. That is awesome. That's amazing. I think, you know, the players will buy into that knowing that, Hey, this guy does want to win. He understands we're playing the freaking Rams who is like a powerhouse in the NFL. And we know that the best way for us to beat them is to stop for them not to have the ball. So uh, love what Campbell's doing. Love the energy, love the message that he has. I think just the coaching staff in general, like they have some good pieces there. Yeah. And I think the confidence that this team is coming into games with, shouldn't be understated for not having a win. I mean, they're fighting tooth and nail um, every single game. I mean, you when you watch them lose, it's hard to say that they're poorly coached, right? right. When, whenever that moment shows up in the game where it turns south, it's always, damn, that's when the horse is caught up to them. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of the situation they're in right now. But to your point, I mean, they're as aggressive as hell. They went what they went uh, onside surprise onside kick like second uh, drive of the game. Um, I I think Campbell's building something right now to your point where they have that underdog mentality and once you get those guys in there, they're not making excuses. They're not doing any of that stuff. They're, they're building something that once it turns and talent is there, they can still keep that kind of competitiveness moving forward. And it seems like it's not wearing down these guys, right? It's, this isn't Joe judge. Like there's such a big right. difference way b- difference between the way Joe judge coaches and the way that he coaches and at least communicates publicly facing forward um, that I think it benefits him. I mean, I, I just think that this team's going to be good at some point. They called out Jerry. They called out the quarterback last week and you saw how the team responded. They, they oh, played yeah. to the nail with the Los Angeles Rams who discarded him um, and they're playing their former quarterback. So yeah, you I mean, mean you mentioned confidence. They shouldn't have any confidence. There's no reason for them to be confident entering any game, and you'd have no idea. And I think that speaks volumes to just Campbell and the team in general. They also don't roll over during the games, during the parts of the games that they should. They could easily tap out at plenty of junctures throughout the game, and it doesn't happen, man. So 
a salute to Dan Campbell for this. It's impressive. Like, like if other coaches actually took notes from like the way other coaches handled these kinds of things, like Kyle Shanahan should take notes on how Dan Campbell called out his quarterback. Cause he didn't say Jared sucks. He didn't say Jared's awful at football player. He just said, we need Jared to step up and we need him to make some big time throws. Cause he's, he's our guy and we need him to make plays. And Kyle Shanahan's over here like, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo is just bad. And he had a a terrible game last week or whatever. That can't be good for the confidence of your players. And I owe Dan Campbell an apology because I thought he was kind of a joke headed into this season, talking about biting kneecaps and and just being kind of crazy and kooky. And I'm all bought in now. Like, he's got me sold because he's been so much fun to watch. And that's why... Like I, I keep finding, like when I whenever I look at the standings, I'm like, oh yeah, the Lions haven't won a game because they've got this weird energy, like they're just competitive every week when they've got a bad roster and they have no business being competitive. We're at the point in the season where we're gonna start seeing teams. I don't know if you want to call it court, make business decisions, whatever you want to, however you want to frame it, but we're not seeing this Lions team lose any heart down the stretch in ways that we've already seen teams do it. You could watch Jacksonville against Tennessee. They said, we're, we're done stopping, you know, tackling Derrick Henry between the guards, right? We're, we're no longer doing the flesh exchange for stopping yardage at this point in the game. Um, I think Chicago against Tampa was, I was another example of that. Bears. Yeah. Yes. They're just like, dude, we are done stopping Leonard Fournette yep. running power. Like this game is lost, right? To a certain extent, motivation does matter because when there's not playoffs on the line, when there isn't, hey, my next contract is on the line, some people are going to say like, hey, man, lining up and stopping this running back is extremely painful. It may hurt me and is basically an exercise of like CTE wind sprints, right? This isn't fun. (laughs) What Campbell is able to do, Campbell has a roster full of young guys, right? I'm sure some of these guys are going to look at Campbell in like two years and be like, that is my dude. Right. Like the same way that people talk about Tomlin. I think that's kind of like what we're in store for with Campbell. Um, He's just got to find an offense, basically, that can move the ball down the field. Not his fault. Like this is what he inherited. Like He'll get there. We all knew this was year zero. Right. We all knew this was year zero for Detroit. No expectations. I will say, though, if we're talking about teams that are. So the the record not necessarily matching their talent. Right. Is kind of the conversation we're having with the Lions. I took the Jets plus 800 worst record in football two weeks ago. I'm feeling great about that because this Jets team, if the Jets played the Lions today, I if, if if the Lions were seven-point favorites, I would still take them. They're, they're just a world away from the Jets. I don't care that the Jets have that single win in their win column. Yeah, I like that. I, I agree with you. <laughs> this this Lions team just has so much fight in them, and it is not a talented roster. Like. DeAndre Swift looks like he's going to be a hell of a player, but overall their roster is just not very good. So it speaks a lot to what Dan Campbell is achieving with that team that they are entertaining at all. And if I were a Lions fan, I'd be pretty juiced about that. At least as juiced as you can be when you're 0-7 in the NFL. Get Matt Corral on the roster and this will become the official Lions podcast, baby. (laughs) It's uncharted territory. Nobody is desperately trying to be the official Lions podcast. So we we're putting it out into the world first and we got the market corner right there. But thank you guys so much for listening to NFL University each and every week. We do ask that if you listen to this fine program, you leave us a five-star review. We're in the five-star business uh, as well as subscribe 
because we like doing this and we hope that you guys enjoy listening to us each and every week. You can follow KP at KP underscore show on Twitter. You can follow Justice at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm Steven Serta. That's where you can find me. We'll talk to you guys next week.